Hello, friends and loyal listeners. Christopher Swanson here, editor of the Neighboring Movement podcast. Just jumping on to quickly introduce today's episode, our part two episode with Joseph Rathenham. In today's episode, Joseph is going to tell a story with some particularly intense content. Um, There's going to be quite a few issues mentioned, but one of them is around children and sexual assault. And this story takes place right about the 19-minute mark. So if you would rather not listen to this particular section around sexual assault, we would completely understand and encourage you to just skip ahead a couple minutes um, and you will still gather a lot of the gist of the story and hear the particularly powerful um, progress that is made through Joseph and his work. Just wanted to give this quick warning. Um, Otherwise, enjoy this incredibly powerful episode with Joseph and hearing about the amazing work that is being done in India. Enjoy. Welcome to the Neighboring Movement Podcast, a podcast about the power and importance of neighboring. I'm your host, Ian Campbell. I'm the Faith-Based Program Director here at the Neighboring Movement. And today we're continuing a conversation with Joseph Rathenham from uh, Indian Neighborocracy Movement. Uh, Actually, I should say it is truly a global movement, uh, as Joseph has explained in our first episode, and we'll get into a little bit more in this episode. Um, it's wonderful to have you, Joseph. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, thank you, Ian. I'm so happy to meet you once again. So I wanted to start by just talking a little bit about the neighboring movement's approach to training people to get to know and love their neighbors. We train people to move from strangers to acquaintances, which we define as kind of getting to the point where you know somebody's name, and then to relationships. And that's kind of where we would like to move everyone along that spectrum. Um, Relationships being you're starting to give and receive care with your neighbors and maybe even learning their gifts and what they're passionate about and, and kind of starting to celebrate them in that way. But do you think in the American context, as we've talked a little bit about before, that it is good enough that we should just get to know our neighbors, care for them and accept care from them and build a strong relationship with them? Or is there another step we should be taking, a a bigger goal that we should be moving towards? Is there a step after relationship that you would suggest for America? Yeah, good. Well, exactly. I have not visited uh, American countries so far, so I don't have uh, on-the-ground uh, experience. But from people, what people say, I assume that it may be something similar to the culture in Europe. Now, what I find uh, some positive element in the Western countries is uh, that people are uh, very open, you know, free free to talk to strangers. They say, hi, 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 you know, very easily they they, they relate. Unlike in India, in uh, Indian context, the neighbors, they know each other and they come easily together. But talking to a stranger, it's very difficult. They don't open up because there are so many 
uh, obstacles for them. There are so many barriers to, op to open up uh, to a stranger. But in the Western culture, what I find, these barriers are very few. These blocking elements are very few. So I find that they are more free to say hi and uh, to give a smile and things like that. And, uh, and it is a positive element for them to start with. Now, once we have started with the neighborhood, it is not that we need to come to the business uh, directly. It will take some time to, you know, to, to know each other uh, more deeper and practice uh, the work of caring for each other and uh, celebrate things together. You can celebrate every day. There are enough reasons to celebrate every day. Uh, the, the fact that it is a new day, that can be celebrated. Okay. So every day of our life can be celebrated. So the neighborhood uh, comes, can come together to celebrate. And in Western culture, these uh, celebrations, there are plenty, you know, uh, community celebration, that celebration, this celebration. Uh, there are so many celebrations. Like that, we will have a neighborhood celebration you know uh, how nice to be a neighbor to each other you know we celebrate that and a celebration doesn't mean that it's a big with bombs and that and things and the, but just you know each one brings something to eat and they share among themselves and just chat and laugh and joke and all that so that gradually they come to know each other more and more and more and Knowing each other ends up with caring for each other. Automatically, it happens. So it is not that you intentionally you have to care for another. No, you just build build your your pure, honest relationship with each person. Automatically, it leads you to that. Then you you become more compassionate towards and you become empathetic towards others and all that. Once these things come then automatically the subject will go still deeper. Automatically it will go deeper to the things which disturb them as neighbors. So then they identify the, the elements which disturb them. Then you can just list it out. Somebody has to take the lead. Then you can start a discussion. You know, okay, these are the, these are the elements. These are the things which are, which are disturbing us. Uh, what do we do about it? Uh, what shall we do about it? So it's it's a you know thinking process. Then somebody may suggest who who knows neighborhoodcracy very well can suggest okay why don't we take charge of things ourselves instead of depending on somebody else, depending on the municipality, depending on the city council, say, uh, depending on the parish council, or depending on the elected representative. Why we don't come together? Of course, they are all elected for that purpose. That is their work. But still, why should we depend on somebody else instead of we coming together, taking charge of the situation? It should be our own. You know, we love to make the situations our own. We don't depend on somebody else to take care of our situation. And we don't become dependent on somebody else for it. So things like that, you know, slowly it cooks up. And finally, they are, yes, we will take charge. Then, when the neighbors come together, 
when they identify these issues imagine how it will be for example in indian context uh, we have a beautiful practice of uh, children parliament members adopting elders elders so those who live alone so they they have a function every year so in that function all the elders are brought they are uh, you know honored with that and this then each child declares to the community i have adopted this as my grandfather so any me any help this person this my grandfather needs i will take care so that similar things can happen there which will help the child to grow to be more responsible more compassionate and once the child becomes compassionate definitely the child will never think of taking a gun to the school uh, that's how it has to and there are it's a process actually it is not uh, you just uh, press button uh, solution you give to all this this all connected with emotions and as uh, as already ian is working with the faith communities and it is connected with all lot of more other things also hmm? values cultural uh, background and all that is there and so a lot can be done through this and it will take a process from from starting point to taking care of each other's point and in the process then we will say okay each one can take uh, responsibility for one particular issue and we call them here ministers so they use the sociocratical process to elect their ministers sociocratical election process is a wonderful process it is not a democratical uh, uh, election process democratical election process is you know depending on the numbers majority and minority but it this sociocratical election process doesn't depend on numbers it depends on the talents and skills of that particular person and with everyone's consent a particular person is elected as a minister for that particular issue so everyone knows this person is the best to handle this issue then that person is elected for that with everyone's consent and all that so that's how they function this is how we we'll have to go about it such a great answer thank you there's a lot to to think about there the first thing i wanted to say is on the topic of of mass violence you're talking about you know you mentioned children bringing guns to school and and we've seen so much of that and to me that is as you mentioned there are many many factors that take place well before somebody ever makes that decision and i'm starting to say that it should be a public shame and not necessarily of individuals but of the culture itself if anybody is allowed to sit in their home alone for weeks on end without being checked in with by their neighbors right if if neighbors you know cuz you hear this all the time in these interviews after something like this happens you know tell me about your neighbor who who did this horrible horrible attack on people and they a lot of times you'll hear this well we never had any problems with him you know he he just kind of kept to himself and that's not good enough you know that we we need to be checking in with each other and 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 you know well before someone ever gets to that place and so 
I love how you've talked about before that having this neighborocracy system and having every, you know, all like you get 30 households and each member of those 30 households is elected to some role by their neighbors through the sociocratic process, which, you know, really, instead of pitting people against each other, it, it really values them and it basically kind of imbues them with this idea that they are fully valued by the community. And you say that they don't, they're no longer faceless people and nobody is a nobody. Everybody is a somebody and everybody has a a role to play in the community. I think if people felt like from the beginning that they had something to do for the community, they have a task and they are a benefit to the community based on, on their gifts, then that's a, you know, a beautiful thing and, and prevents a lot of this. Um, but I also want to talk about a little bit of the, the gift component because to me, I've struggled. Okay, I've, I'm, I'm really good at getting my neighbors together. We're, at the neighboring movement, we have a whole challenge that's designed in four weeks to get you to not just meet your neighbors, but to have a, some sort of social gathering with them and celebration as you talk about. And that's great. And, and we can get to this point where everybody's celebrating and having a good time. But then suddenly I just imagine in my head, okay, now I want to get the neighbors together and we're not just going to have a good time and celebrate and party together, but now we're going to have a meeting, you know, and Americans, we we have a lot of meetings, but we're not, we don't like them. Right. And so suddenly people are like, oh man, you're killing the, the fun. Come on. Like, we, we just want to get together and we just, we, we, we meet all day at work. We just want to relax. And so I've, I've wondered what is the, how do you get, how do you move from this just being social to this step that maybe I would say beyond relationship is like co-creator. We're co-creating the space together. How do you move there? And I think at the neighboring movement, we have this asset-based community development approach that we use based on discovering the gifts of neighbors connecting those gifts, mobilizing those gifts. And in in the process of that, in the process of uh, doing activities at our gatherings to learn the gifts of people, we start to see those connections. And then suddenly we see that, you know, five people have said that they have tools in their garage that other people can use and they hardly use them themselves. And suddenly like there's a reason to meet. And now meeting doesn't seem so like a uh, we we use this term buzzkill in America, but like it just kills the energy and, and seems boring and not fun. Instead, there's a passion now discovered through discovering what people are already passionate about, and there's a reason to meet. And I think we start meeting on those issues, those things that we care about. We want to do projects like let's have a library of of tools where anybody can check them out on the street, and then suddenly you get used to meeting and you can start to slowly implement sociocracy as we've talked about a little bit and, and start to, to move towards where it can be a little bit more regular and formal meetings. So I see a pathway and I do, my next question was going to be, why does America, why do Americans need neighborocracy? But you answered that so beautifully as well. listener, 
how many neighborhood parliaments, including children's parliaments, youth parliaments, neighborhood groups, and even maybe the small Christian communities, how many groups of people no, do you include? Exact, uh, exact number I do not have, but I can uh, very well say that approximately 400,000 neighborhood parliaments, small Christian communities, children parliament, youth parliament, all put together all over the country, spread out. It's huge. I mean, you mentioned it's a tiny percentage, but it still really just gives us an idea of the promise of scale and the possibility of that. And we know that the children's parliaments are especially doing a great job federating much better than the adults and that they're heading towards the provisional world children's parliament kind of global scale meeting with children and other countries. So there's a lot of, of hope and promise with this system. But I want to move into one of my favorite things about you, Joseph, and that is the, the way that you tell uh, stories. Is there a story that you would like to tell that illustrates kind of a key point of neighborocracy for the listeners? Uh, I, I'll be really happy to share one incident which, which is near to my heart, one experience. There is one community in North India, north west, uh, western part of North India. And that community, particular community, lives only in 12 villages, the surrounding villages. And you cannot find that particular community anywhere else in the, in the country. It's a very tiny group of people. Each village may be having 120, 150 houses, things like that. So there was one group working in that area, NGO working there. So the director of the NGO called me, said, Joseph, I, this, we are working in a difficult area. We want to start children parliament because we could not penetrate. We are working in various other villages, but in these villages, we could not penetrate. We could not even go. So we want to start children parliament in those villages because the culture is very strange, very, very strange. The culture is that if any girl child reaches puberty, immediately it will be advertised in the village saying that my girl is now ready to have uh, physically ready to have sex. So now she is open to anyone. So there will be pimps from the nearing towns, nearby towns. So they will be informed and they will bring uh, customers from the towns with lots of money. Every house will have a room separately for this purpose. And uh, that customer will be supplied with good food and good uh, liquor. And he will have uh, sex with that uh, girl also, the child, girl child. And uh, the time limit also is there and the money is there. And this is accepted way of a profession, what they've been following for years together, for so many centuries. So in that communities, it was accepted practice. It is an accepted profession. So when the director told me this is a situation, then I said definitely you have to go there and start. So I went there. When I had a time and informed them beforehand. And 
I took two of their staff with me and made a visit one evening. It was around five, five o'clock in the evening. I went there to visit and we were stopped in the border. Asked the lots of questions. We could not, we, our, our car was not permitted to enter the village. Then some people started attacking us, saying that these people are outsiders, they want to do something, that and this. And many people, you know, started chasing us and it was, uh, uh, the, it was almost dark and we were chased in the, we were just running for our lives on the hillside with a lot of thorny bushes, that and this. We fell down and lots of scratches, bruises, that and this. Already it was dark and we did not know where we are going. But all that, we were chased out and uh, we just ran for, uh, for our lives and uh, we escaped. And uh, we walked back behind the hillock, then uh, took a round and came to the place where we had parked our vehicle then took the vehicle and the, by that time we informed them, informed the director what had happened and he said, so this is what is a very dangerous area to work with and we don't know how to, but these practices have to be stopped. Now, <clears throat> I said, okay, doesn't matter, some, some, something will happen. In some way, something will happen. So at that time, I was a smoker. A chain smoke. I used to smoke. So I took rest for two days and there was, you know, I was given treatment and all, but I was thinking how to get into this village and planned. And the third day I told the director, I will take only one person with me. I will go. But he said, sir, uh, it is very risky. And you have come all the way from Chennai. It's a long distance and I... I I'm so much worried about your safety. And all. I said, doesn't matter. Whatever will happen. So, <clears throat> that time, that was in the morning time. It was around 11 o'clock. So, we parked the vehicle about three kilometers away from the village. One of the villages. And we walked inside. And as we walked inside, we reached the spot from where we were chased out the other day. And there was one young boy sitting under the tree, smoking a beady. After seeing him smoking a beady, you know, the smokers know how they get connected. So I took my cigarette and my cigarette was, I always used to have an imported cigarette. And imported from Korea, it is a lean cigarette, with white lean with a, a mint uh, taste and all that flavor. So I took the cigarette and started lighting. And that fellow from far away, from that uh, under the tree, he was looking at me and not at me, at, at my cigarette. And he was fascinated to see the cigarette. Very lean thing, you know, and all that. Because they, they, they may not have seen this type of thing because it's not available in the rural area. It is available only in the cities. And... Uh, then he was just, you know, staring at my uh, cigarette. Then I took the cigarette and showed him, asked him, do you want this? He said, yes. Then I told him, please come. He came. I took one packet because I used to carry two, three packets because I was a chain smoker. I took one packet and gave him. This is for you. You smoke. So he took one cigarette from the packet and started smoking. 
and he was feeling as he was in the heavens, you know, because of the flavor and that and this, and the size of it. And uh, somewhat, uh, he became very soft towards me. Then I told him, do you have friends also smoking? He said, yes. Okay, tomorrow I will come. Each one will have a packet of this 20, 20 cigarettes a packet. Okay, so each one of you will get a packet. Collect them tomorrow. I will come at the same time. He was so happy. And we, we went away. We did not speak anything else. And the next day, I had brought one carton of cigarettes. And he had collected some eight, ten people of his friends, all youngsters. I gave each one of them one cigarette packet. They were very happy. But of course, it's a wrong uh, method. It's a wrong method. But it served my purpose at that time. And uh, they were all happy. Then I asked them, do you all like this? They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very nice, very nice cigarette. It's the first time we see and all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought it from Chennai. Actually, I used to, uh, I brought it for myself. But now since all of you like it, I gave you. Then slowly I asked them, what is the game you play? Which is the sports you like very much? All of them said cricket. Oh, I see. You you like cricket. Do you play cricket? We don't play cricket, but we like watching people playing cricket. In the TV, that and this. Then I said, tomorrow I will come. With cricket bat. With all these uh, things. And we will form a team. So I asked the director to buy all these uh, sports items for them. With all this pad, uh, knee pad, uh, all this pad, so many things without and all that, some t-shirts and all. And uh, formed a team among them, distributed everything. And I, we had also brought one, one of the staff who, who knew little bit batting and all that. So he was teaching them to bat and all that. Then I told them, we will form a team. You will, we will bring a trainer for you. You all will play cricket. And please tell your friends in the neighboring villages, where all these 12 villages. So each village will have a team. Suppose if there are not enough people, two, three villages will be clubbed into one. And one team for each two villages or three villages will be formed according to the number of the youth. So then I told them, okay, you take care. Now the opening is done. Let them play. Let them play and enjoy and all that. Let it happen for a few months. Then you announce after six months, seven months, there will be a tournament from group to group. And there will be a revolving trophy. And all the participants will get a gift. And the winner team will get extra gift. So this all happened six, seven months. After that, the, the organization, the NGO, planned a very great, big celebration. You know, uh, all this uh, tournament and uh, distribution of prizes, that and this and all that. And all the adults and children, everyone was collected. It was a big gathering, big celebration. And they spent such a lot of money for all this. And... Uh, during this price distribution ceremony, I told the director I will give a small speech for 10 minutes. So 
I I was permitted, then I gave a small speech, 10-minute speech. Now, none of you are educated in all these 12 villages. I am worried about all this. There is a big world outside this. In between, there were a lot of uh, obstacles from the pimps and uh, all this. It was there. But slowly, when uh, youth got connected with this, you know, not much. Uh, all the obstacles could be, you know, done away with. Then I told them, suppose if you are all educated, all our youth see such a wonderful games they play, so are so skilled, though so talented, if they are also educated, how oh, there's a very big one outside these villages. So you have to experience that and all that. And slowly my talk convinced them to start a school there. So I told the NGO, first start a school. So with the help of the villages, they started a school and a van going to all the 12 villages collecting the children to come to the school, bring the to the school and back to the it took almost one year for us, one year, one and a half year for this. Then every year we started having cricket games and functions and that and this, and lots of price distribution, celebrations and all that happened. Then slowly after the third year or fourth year, they started organizing the school coming. All the children started coming to school, the children parliament there. And the ninth year, every child signed the resolution that they will never be part of this sex racket, sex business. Meanwhile, the adults were trained on alternative livelihood programs by the NGO. So all this. So this example, this experience of mind really has made me more committed to the cause. Even a rock hard uh, areas can be penetrated through some means or other. After all, people are people. Humans are human. There will be some, some chance, some opportunity. You will have to keep on opening the opportunity. That doesn't mean that everyone has to go to all these difficult areas with the cigarettes and things like that. And that time it was an opportunity which it suddenly struck me and all happened. Now, all these 12 villages, now almost now, uh, uh, yes, almost now 11 years, no such practices, everything stopped. The adults are trained on various livelihood programs, alternative livelihood programs. The whole thing has changed. So this one story I love to share with uh, our uh, our participants, our listeners. So through neighborocracy, through children's parliament, a lot, a lot, a lot can be achieved. And uh, definitely I can give thousands of such wonderful examples where children's parliament has changed the whole community itself. In one village in Madhya Pradesh, where it's it's an obscure village, it's about uh, 40 kilometers away from the city, open defecation is a common business in North India. Even some part of South India also. 
but it is very common in North India. And children parliament eradicated this practice of open defecation. And uh, in one village, they have brought this soap pit culture. Before they used to wash their clothes, wash, wash the vessels and in front of the house, all the water will uh, get logged in the street and the whole street will be slushy. Always it is slushy, uh, breeding mosquitoes and get people getting sick and all that. The children parliament said, uh, passed a resolution that washing, because they, they, they don't have the washroom and all that in the houses. So they will do all this washing business outside the house only. In front of the house, there will be a stone and they wash. Then they decided each house will have a soap pit where this waste water will be let into the soap pit so that the groundwater is discharged and this dirty water doesn't get flown into the street. And so like that, lots and lots. And very importantly, lots of child marriages the children parliament has stopped. Lots of school dropouts, they have put them back to school. Lots of child trafficking is being stopped through this. Child labor has been eradicated wherever children parliaments are strong. So these are very, very important elements. It has really transformed their whole community. And these practices definitely transforms each child also. So these are the things I want to share with our listeners. Suppose, imagine if every individual in the world gets, gets into this practice, how much climate action can be successful? To what extent the climate action can be successful? Definitely a big change it can bring. So that's why we need this neighborhood to be established in every neighborhood all over the world. Because as an individual, if there is somebody motivating me towards that because everyone is doing, then automatically I will become motivated positively. Otherwise, you know, the culture today is, you know, uh, the consumerism is, is up to the throat. Hmm? They buy a car today and after after a week, the, the company advertises, see, we have a tubeless car or uh, without a tube and that and this. Immediately, they go for it. Then they say, we have a... Uh, uh, or the driverless car, uh, immediately they go for it. They innovate new, new things and uh, push it on the heads of the consumers, the people, and the people become victims. Whatever they earn, they spend for this, and uh, finally only paying the bills and the loans. You know? So this, this trend has to be stopped. And for that, only we promote also parallelly community economy. Now, the economy is based on market economy, currency economy, gold economy, petrol economy, uh, uh, petrol market, gold market, that all, you know, uh, stock market, uh, now crypto market and all that. This all is controlled by all the big, big, big players. But what we say, any market has to be controlled by the community itself. So we have promoted the concept of community economy. Community production. The community itself becomes a producer. 
the community itself becomes a marketer and the community itself becomes a consumer. That's how it is. And uh, now all these cities, number of cities increasing, definitely this is, definitely will be more successful because we have enough consumers and uh, produce the right, right product and consume, consume the same in the right way. So, uh, even in the SDGs, they say, uh, you know, responsible production, responsible consumption and all. It can happen only when we have people structures. Now, neighborocracy is a people structure. They come to decide to, to motivate each other, encourage each other uh, and help each other to take the right decision, to follow the right steps so that all issues, whether locally or globally, can be taken care of. Yeah. So my last question is, we touched on this a little bit after our last recording, but I would love for you to just kind of bring it home to the listeners, especially considering, you know, we do both secular and religious work, and I'm the faith-based program director. So I was wondering if you could talk about what is the role of Christians and followers of other religions in the neighborocracy movement? Yes. Every religion, whichever religion it may be, every religion, especially Christianity, always harps on love, compassion, forgiveness, sharing, brotherhood, equality, justice, peace, honesty, forgiving, and all those things, all these values. And and specifically, Christianity imposes, I mean, uh, proposes this uh, more. Now, it is not a pulpit preaching which is going to help. Definitely no. But we have to have a people structure to practice this. If you just tell, your, tell an individual, you have to love your neighbors. You have to be compassionate towards neighbor, your neighbor. It is like a pulpit preaching. He won't know how to do it because it has gone out, out of his genes because of the evolution. It has gone out of his genes to love people or to be compassionate towards people. Now, to reinfuse this in people, we have to create structures. These religious communities, whoever they claim to be, they have to ensure that these neighborhood communities are created. This is a structure where all these good practices, good values can be practiced. That's more important. We'll have to have a platform where people help each other, motivate each other, encourage each other to practice all these values. And here, that's why I, we have uh, one important training in uh, neighborocracy that is called value clarification exercises. We clarify the value. For example, love. Love is the basic value of all other values. Every other value is born from love. But the most misunderstood word in the world is love today. Immediately when we say love, when we say love, people's mind goes to something else. So, and in Christianity, love is explained so beautifully in 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. And love cannot be explained much better way than this. And now, make people practice this. Not by teaching from the pulpit. Not by conducting seminars. No, that is not going to happen. Make a structure where people will experience, practice and experience the goodness of love. So we clarify what the love is, then make them practice. The same thing with compassion, brotherhood, equality, justice, honesty, forgiveness. Once this love and compassion is practiced, all other values will fall in. All other. Once you are compassionate towards your fellow being, definitely you will not hurt that person. Definitely you will share whatever you have with that person. Definitely you will not expect anything from outside, uh, out of the way. You will not uh, corrupt people. Uh, you will not uh, be part of the corruption process. But all that. So many things will happen. You will be really honest. And you will you, you, you'll be happy to be honest. And all that will happen. So, these religious uh, communities definitely has to take a lead and especially the Christianity because they claim to be the uh, to be the masters of all these values or caretakers of all these values. So they have to create these structures so that people start practicing it. And people, those who call themselves the leaders of the religion like pastors or the preachers or uh, the priests or nuns or whoever it is, they have to set an example. And I'm not going to take any religious class now because everyone knows it. It's open. What Christ has said. And Christ has explained everything beautifully in every sense if we read between the lines. And the church after first or second century, they started creating their own theology according to their own convenience. And that theology is brought down till now. In fact, I would say, and I say it uh, with pain, that Christianity has failed Christ. So, we have to understand Christ and his words in the right perspective, the right way, and introduce him. I would say reintroduce him to the world. What he is. Because yes, he has been wrongly introduced as a religious figure or as a religious head. He is not a person who does, uh, he, who wanted to, who, he did not come to start a religion. Definitely. In fact, he says it in Matthews. You cannot collect few people and call yourself a group of people and the blind cannot lead the blind. So he is against all this. But still in his own name we have created churches. And so many thousands of churches we have. Uh, hundreds of denominations. It's all pathetic. Pathetic. And today, uh, most of the people outside Christianity do not want to listen to the name itself, Christ. Why? Because we Christians, so-called Christians, have miserably failed him. So now it's the right time that we, we get into this business. Create structures. 
forget about the religion a real christian is not a religious person it's a human being he only can be a real christian so first be a real human being create a structure encourage everyone in the in the in the community to live as a real human being with all these values so that's what i would say and uh, there is a lot into this because i become sometimes very emotional when i talk about these subjects because i've been dealing with it for so many years and i feel miserably upset when i talk about all these things so actually we have to take the lead the so called christians have to take the lead of this sort any denomination for that matter it is their duty to bring humanity to the world awesome i feel inspired to 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 go out and do it i'll say that you know what an example we have in uh father edwin john um a catholic priest who really got this whole thing rolling and um has just continues to do incredible work and is a friend of of both of ours and has just yeah done awesome work making it very clear what faith looks like lived out in practice so thank you so much joseph for your time for two incredible interviews with us and i just i always learn so much from you and uh your passion is just contagious and it would be awesome to have you on again sometime just to tell some stories you know cuz uh, like like i said you are a wealth of stories and that comes from your experience so thank you so much i w- i would like to just ask is there any thing that you would like to share with our listeners as far as where we can find out more about you or about neighborocracy well this is one of a very difficult question to answer because we never record all this work what we do we just keep on doing and move to the next place we don't record we don't keep documents and all that's one of the uh, biggest uh, problem not only me even edwin he also doesn't have all these documents and each time if somebody asks for something then he calls me hi joseph do you have any document on this then as you know edwin i don't make any documents of anything what i just like a wanderer you know i just do my work and move on i do this work and move on that's all that's how we go but now lately i wrote a book but it is an unedited version and in the name of neighborocracy and i think yeah you must have gone through that i i hope i have send it to you yeah. and since people are asking for details i am sending it so it's an unedited raw version i am uh, i am uh, discussing with one company in us dorrance publishing so we are working with them i am i am working with them that uh, still it is in the initial stage Uh, whether they'll be happy to they have already accepted that they will be ready to work with me on this but still we don't know when because uh, there the a local support also we need and uh, the lead was given to me by john buck a expert socio critical person who introduced socio critic to american countries and so he is the lead and he is supporting me on this so 
soon that book will be given and you can just type neighborocracy in youtube or google or whatever it is or neighborhood parliament and some stories here and there will pop up and uh, i have some videos of my talks or that and this where when i give talks people record and they send it to me this is a recording in it and all this so th those type of videos are there so if you want i can send it to you for your reference and you can send it to any of the listeners for any uh, more information and definitely the best informations will come from me directly <laughs> because it is it is it is like a mine no you just you just hook it and you just tap it then uh, you get into then you get the ideas well i will link some of my favorite articles or podcasts that you have done or the Edwin or Swarna Lakshmi, uh, a wonderful wealth of information as well. One of the children's parliament success stories. And I will, I will share some of those in the, in the show notes. And so people can find your work that way. But yeah, let me say from firsthand experience, if you do the work and, and, and search enough, you will find all sorts of wonderful talks from, from Joseph. So thank you again, Joseph, for coming on. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Jan. And I thank, uh, uh, all our listeners. So if any of the listeners are uh, uh, interested in this work, please let them contact you or me or whatever it is, whoever it is. Let us all work together. It's our world, our earth, our generation, our children. We all have to live a happy, joyful life, peaceful life. So yeah, let us all work together. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks again for listening to the Neighboring Movement podcast. You can check out all of our work on all social media platforms and on our website, neighboringmovement.org. And of course, as always, thanks to our hardworking podcast editor, Christopher Swanson, and all of you who are out there doing this work from just taking that first step to knock on a neighbor's door or talk to a neighbor while you're on a walk to organizing children's parliaments and neighborhood parliaments and everywhere in between. Until next time, happy neighbor.